ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It is a truth universally acknowledged that it is always the right time to read, talk, and think about Pride and Prejudice. But why is it this book that we universally acknowledge? Why has Pride and Prejudice lasted for over two centuries as the most famous romance novel of all time? This season of Hot and Bothered, award-winning journalist Lauren Sandler and me, Vanessa Zoltan, are looking closely at Pride and Prejudice, interviewing experts and trying to figure out what this book has taught generations of readers about love. Listen to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by the team behind RadioTimes.com. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast. My name's Hugh. My name's Morgan. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy Who Year. (laughs) Uh, Yes, because we're back after another Doctor Who festive special, New Year's Day special, Eve of the Daleks, um, which was fairly festive, fairly New Year's themed as these things go, um, and had a lot of exciting stuff in. So we'll be reviewing that in this week's episode. Uh, we've just watched it, so you know we might be a little little fresh of everything, but um, you have to bear with us. Um, but before that, it's time for Who News, which is our little news section. Uh, we're recording this slightly ahead of time. So if any major news is broken, we apologize. But we reckon the main thing everyone will be talking about is that next time trailer at the end of uh, Eva the Daleks. Uh, Morgan, I mean, I guess you, you would just want to talk about that for a minute because I've spoken quite a lot. I, yeah, sure. I actually cheered out loud when, and, and, they, <laughs> and they, they, they knew what they were doing, the way they revealed the title yeah. uh, word by word till we finally got the reveal, which is Legend of the sea devils and we'd heard a little bit about this this spring special i think we knew uh some details of the setting and then the characters but the sea devil uh reveal had been kept under wraps very exciting um there aren't really very many classic doctor who monsters those iconic monsters that haven't returned in some form um in 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 the new series in the post 2005 series the sea devils is well they are pretty much the only one um, the the only box left to tick, and we're finally getting them. They look great. They they, they have the exact that, same. Um, <laughs> they, they, they look the same. But you know the the, the, the Silurian um, redesign was was a little bit controversial. You know, some people liked it, some people didn't. So I'm I'm certainly happy that uh, that the Sea Devils look the same, and 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 it seems like the perfect uh, setting for them. A historical adventure with the Sea Devils. Re- I'm, I'm I was excited anyway, but I'm really really excited now for that spring special. It just looks like a, a hoot, a hoot and a half. Uh, a, romp. a romp yeah like very very springy i mean we're we don't know when it's going to air exactly but um i think we're expecting easter um and it seems quite like a sort of easter movie you know pirates uh in the chinese mm. sea and sea devils and monsters and so on um yeah so i'm very excited to see that but we've got a few months before that for now we should still you know carry on unwrapping our latest present which is eva the daleks um 
So we'll talk about that in a sec. But before that, um, I recently caught up with the episode's director, Netta Laufer, um, who was very kindly happy to chat to us all about time loops, which were very confusing and things like that. Uh, so I spoke to her before I'd watched the episode. And here's that chat now. It's quite an interesting looking episode. When you were first approached about working on it, what was the kind of pitch given to you? Chris had said he wanted to have a New Year's episode that had a bit more sort of positive, magical element to it because the previous ones had sort of been um, more serious and less of the festive mood. And I guess because of the year that we've been having, he felt that he wanted something more festive. Um, so I knew that was coming. And then um, he basically pitched it as a rom-com, but with Daleks, <laughs> um, which I thought was um, really exciting because the, the two just really don't go together. So I thought it would be a really fun way to sort of bend that genre, really. I remember there was once a, an online joke of, you know, there's, there's no rom-com that couldn't be improved by the inclusion of a Dalek. And now it's, you know, using as the example, the film Wimbledon. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, and you know what? I think, I think they're right. I mean, what was it like kind of trying to balance those tones of like, you know, genuine peril, but also kind of comedy romance? I, I, I think it was, I mean, I think that is a Doctor Who thing anyway, because you have, um, so many different tones that can be like within minutes of each other. Um, and, and I think that's the challenge that you have when you're directing it. I think with this one, what the, the biggest challenge was finding those intimate kind of connecting moments that the character need as the sort of lover heroes, but not losing the tension, um, of the danger that is that they're surrounded by or that they're in um so that that was challenging in terms of and i think music helped a lot and in terms of um how we set them up and then what we cut away to to just to keep reminding ourselves of, of well this is the danger that they're in because otherwise it would i think even though that of course we're in an absurd world but even within an absurd world, it, there needs to be some kind of believability. And to have characters lose all their sense of fear or all their sense of tension just to be in a loving moment does not would not ring true, even if you are with Daleks. Yeah. You would still have that in the back of your head that there's danger around. So it was always trying to look at where is the danger coming from? Where is a moment where they could forget themselves but come right back to it again? So that's kind of how we looked and approached it. It's also, uh, plot-wise, a time loop story, uh, yeah. which is very exciting. I mean, what was that like to film from your perspective? Presumably there were just scenes that had to be kind of reset and done slightly differently over and over again. Yeah, so I think with any time loop kind of structure, you need to set the rules. And you need to set the rules at the beginning so that the audience will know, oh, we're, we've, we've gone into a new loop. Um, and the loop is always defined usually by something happening in the same way until the character then goes, hang on a minute, and then sort of diverts or, or does something different. And so the challenge with that, because we're shooting out of sequence, is 
what loop are we in? And because everything starts the same. So having to keep track of, oh, this is the loop when you go off and do this, or this is the loop, even though it starts the same. So that was, um, we had to plot that. I mean, for me as a director, I had to plot that very carefully so that I knew very quickly which loop we were in and also what time it was because Chris added the added or added the extra like losing a minute per loop um which uh normally you just have the loop or you know you go back to the beginning and you start again and then something different happens but he ha- he added an extra complication so we had to like really keep an eye on well okay time wise where are we um which was fun but also like yeah quite complicated at times <laughs> Yeah, well, because Mandip uh, in Doctor Who magazine said that it was sometimes quite confusing just doing mm. it all. And, you know, and you're the one who had to, you know, keep it all organized and tell everyone where to be. I mean, how did you keep it all straight in your head? Just loads of notes? Do you have a big spreadsheet? Or? I think, I mean, in my prep, when I was doing the prep, it was making sure that each timeline, I, I knew what was happening story-wise in each timeline. Um, and by doing that and having that, like little codes in my script. This is time code. Uh, this is timely, such and such. And with a little sentence going, this is what's happening in that loop. Then it was a good reminder to myself. And I, I mean, obviously, I'm, as a director, you you have the overview of the whole story. So it is. It's imperative that you you understand which line is going where, which timeline is going where. Um, so yeah. So that was different from my usual storytelling but um made it all the more fun and then putting it together became really exciting because in the edit then looking at okay we want to edit the beginning in exactly the same way as well until we sort of go off and it changes so that became really exciting uh, to play with I mean, when you found out this was going to be how it all worked and just how complicated it was going to be, were you kind of apprehensive, a bit, a bit like, oh God, what have I let myself in for? Or were you just excited for the challenge? Excited, totally excited for the challenge. I love um, Time Loops. I love Groundhog Day um, and all the others that have followed since. I think it's such a brilliant premise mm. um, and you can have so much fun with it. So yeah, no, I was like, yeah, let's do this. It was really fun. I mean, it feels like perfectly Doctor Who, but it's not something Doctor Who has actually done that much. You know, it's time travel. It's, you know, a bit messed with format. It surprises me, actually. Um, It's one of those stories I would have thought that um, would be right up the Doctor's street, really. So I'm so excited that I got to to do that storyline, really. And thank you very much to Anetta. I would probably ask her so much more now uh if i had the chance but um you know the way the way the schedules worked out we spoke pre me watching the episode um but yeah eva the daleks review time um yeah i really enjoyed this i thought Mm. it was really fun and it could be one of those episodes where you know i'll rewatch it in a year or even a little while maybe even on new year's day itself and be like oh god what was i thinking but it felt (laughs) like a good one do you know what i mean it felt it was funny it was funny. Like, it was actually really funny. Like, there were a lot more jokes in it. And I think a lot of that's down to the, you know, supporting cast like Ashling B. But even Mandip Gill seemed to sort of raise her game in terms mm. of, like, 
you know, she suddenly was doing a lot more kind of comedy and stuff. And yeah, I just thought, I mean, that's my main takeaway was it was very funny. Some classic Dalek lines. Daleks do not have managers. I jotted a few of them down. Daleks <laughs> are not fair. Uh, <laughs> I, I, am, also, I am not Nick. <laughs> yeah, I, I also wondered if I am not Nick was an intentional uh, Nick Briggs tip of the hat, but, but who knows? Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I, you know, we'll talk more about this. But yeah, generally speaking, I, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Yeah, no, same. I, I, I was a big fan of it. Um, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, this, we talked previously um, about how uh, Doctor Who Flux had sort of defied COVID restrictions to make the, the biggest Doctor Who story possible. And this felt like a story that maybe was made as a result of COVID restrictions. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a contained setting. It's a limited cast. But actually, I think that that works in its in its favour because you've got um, the, the main TARDIS trio and two supporting players in, in Ashling B and Ajani Salmon. And it the, it works because the performances across the board are also strong from those five actors. You know, everyone knows how great Ashling B is and she's, you know, it was written for her, this role of, of, of Sarah. Um, and she's no surprise, perfectly cast, just really great, really funny. Absolutely. Now is it Ajani Salmon, not someone I was familiar with previously. I think he's, he's really great in the, in this role of a sort of good hearted weirdo. Um, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. I can't say I understood all of it, mm. um, but, but parts of the, I, I was sort of, you know, I, I grasped it to begin with, and then the more and more time loops that happened, the more and more I, uh, I, I lost the plot a little bit. But I don't think that, that entirely matters. Um, it, was, it, it was just, yeah, just really good fun. Um, I, I, I find it hard to criticise, really. Yeah, I think the one thing, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, that was a bit confusing, was I got, there's a time loop caused by the TARDIS or whatever, that's fine. There's Daleks in there. The time loop is constricting, that's clever. You know, it's a minute shorter each time, mm. do things different ways, that's fine. I didn't quite understand, as you said, as you, I think you pointed this out, they sort of said, oh, if, if we're caught in the time loop in the building, when it closes, we'll die. And I didn't quite get that. And then also, I didn't really understand why in the... I don't know what you'd call it, not the penultimate loop, the one before, where Nick the destroyed two of the Daleks. Loop. Yeah, the anti-penultimate <laughs> loop, where Nick killed two of the Daleks, and then they were like, mm. oh, okay, let's make a plan. I was like, you could leave now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't understand why. I guess because, I guess the point is that because it would reset, they would end up back there. I guess, yeah, I guess that's the point. It's like, if they had to leave in the final loop, because otherwise, even if they went somewhere else, they would just re-loop mm. back. And it, I don't know whether time... It always re-looped when they died, though, didn't it? So if they didn't die, would it not? Well, there was... This is, you know, the evidence of the fact that we've just literally just finished watching the episode because we're essentially unpacking it um, as, mm. as we record. But, yeah, I wasn't entirely sure what the rules were. I, th I thought the, the twist of that the, the it skipped a minute each time was clever mm. because what it adds is a sense of, of, of jeopardy. It's kind of, kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a countdown um, because otherwise time loops don't really... They can they can lack drama because it's mm. just the same thing happening over and over again. Um, there, was, there was one scene where Sarah Ashling B's character said uh, nick always dies at five two so if he doesn't survive this loop he's dead for good and i didn't really understand that because surely if he's being killed in different ways in different places why does he always die at five two and then he didn't die so presumably that wasn't the case <laughs> I, then, I, I, I kind of i kind of got that i think the point was that in the pre prior to this point he hadn't survived past that point mm. and so she was kind of like he will probably die. Not that he like has that always runs out the way, but he'll probably die by then. And if it resets now, 
if he dies then you know we're, we're hitting a point where yeah I, I i kind of got it it was a bit like i don't know why she specifically was like oh yeah it's always that time that he dies because it you know it presumably does vary but i kind of got it you know Mm. But but you know I think I think you're right and I didn't entirely understand what was going to happen at midnight. Clearly the the time loop was shortening. It was it was it was building up or down um, to to midnight. But then surely if the time loop closed at midnight, that just meant no more time loops and they would have all the time in the world to escape. But but they seemed to be acting as if midnight meant certain death, and I wasn't entirely sure why that was the case. Yeah, and if that was you know you could make up a reason for why that was the case, and that's fine. I'm just not sure if they did. If you know what I mean, like <laughs> yeah. you can, yeah. you can make that be the jeopardy of the episode. It's sci-fi. You can make it up. I'm not sure yeah. that they ever actually said, "Oh, and because you know, oh, it'd be like, oh yeah, because of the tan transtemporal crushing will destroy us." You'd be like, oh, "Okay, you know." Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a little confusing, I think. And then the fact they leave and blow up the place, and it's fine. I mean, I guess I, for my reading of it at the time, because I didn't really notice all this when I was watching it, was. I guess they think the Daleks will definitely get them if there's only a minute or something. I don't really, I don't know. I guess they thought the Daleks would get them eventually. Or if they kind of got to the end of the loop, the Daleks would just, maybe it's that because if they got to the end of the loop, the Daleks would just kill them because the loop was as much their advantage as the Daleks. Yeah. Because the Daleks were pretty unstoppable. Yeah, so that kind of, that kind of works. We can kind of puzzle it out like that um i will say by the way beyond the confusion i do want to talk a little bit about these daleks because i think these are employee of the month daleks i mean (laughs) they still fail but like of the dark apart from that one who dan kind of ran around which was kind of embarrassing um for him i would say these were pretty good daleks they you know they were well Mm. kitted out they killed the doctor like eight times you know that guy from uh, the Stolen Earth, who's been bragging for you know however many you know rels or whatever Dalek time is about how he half killed the Doctor, he's been knocked off his mm. pedestal. They you know <laughs> anticipated the Doctor's plans. They they you know learned from mistakes. Sassy put down galore. Um, I mean, they were they were pretty on it. Well, the, the, these were a new breed of Daleks, of course. These were executioner Daleks, yeah. as opposed to what? Like the cuddly <laughs> kind we usually get. Yeah. But, I, but, but, maybe, but maybe they are like a superior class of Dalek. Like they're clearly they're, they're kitted out with some, uh, you know, with, with, with an upgraded uh, weapon. Um, so, yeah, no, no, very, very effective. The time loop uh, uh, trope allowed them to be, to be more effective, of course. But um, no, made really good use of the Daleks. I think this episode, um, and yeah, despite us just going in a little bit on on the the time loop um, being confusing, as I said, I overall really really enjoyed this one. I mean, they they even brought back the crane driver from the woman who fell to earth. Did you notice that the guy at the end? Is that who that was? <laughs> Watching the fireworks. I was like, I'm sure I reckon. I'm sure I recognise him, and it's the guy, the, the the crane driver guy from the woman who fell to earth. I don't know who was demanding his comeback but and i guess he's relocated from sheffield to manchester imagine that um, you relocate from sheffield to manchester and you're still every, every, i mean he, he didn't actually get involved there so he's fine no but everyone talking about you know the, the, the big moments in this episode the return of the daleks the time loop uh, another big moment which i'm sure we'll we'll talk about shortly um but no for me for me the biggest most satisfying moment was the uh, the return of the crane driver that's mad and he's the one who tim shaw was like targeting wasn't he and that was the he was just like an ordinary yeah. guy who's being hunted yeah. man that is so strange i didn't realize that was him i was just like oh that's a random niche. guy that is niche i mean i guess you know it's appropriate it's you know we're coming up to the end of that era 
they're kind of bringing back, you know, they brought back Rusty, the Dalek, uh, for Peter Gavaldi's last episode. So, yeah. uh, you know, they bring back all the people no one asked for <laughs> for these <laughs> these moments. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, you know, I think it, it was really effective the way they used the Daleks. It kind of made them, it was like a monster movie or something. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. being chased, or horror movie, I suppose, being chased through this limited location. They seemed like a genuine threat, but also there was a way to kind of around them. Um and yeah, I thought it worked really well, uh, generally speaking. Um, we already talked a bit about the guest stars. I think they were really good. Um, I loved Pauline McLean's little cameo as Ashling B's uh, mother. Um, I did find it funny yeah. that Ashling B was basically playing the exact same character she plays in This Way Up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did think that. But, but Pauline McLean, um, perfectly cast, right? But then yeah. I also thought, did she just did she just record like her entire guest performance over Zoom? That's exactly because... what it was. She just did it on Zoom. Like it was. It's <laughs> yeah. a good way of doing it. I mean. You definitely notice the, like, as you say, the COVID of it all more in this episode. Mm. And it's really fascinating in terms of the sort of stories that we might have gotten if they tried to do an ordinary series. And I feel like it's one of these things where it works perfectly for this because it's, you know, a really specific story they're telling and they are trapped. So that works. If you did it every week, you'd kind of be a bit like, can we see the sky? <laughs> or, you know, can we like yeah. go, go somewhere else? Um, but yeah, no, I think they really... In Flux, they leaned into it in a way to create this serialized story that I think worked really well. In this, they leaned into it to create quite a claustrophobic kind of story, which also mm. worked. And I think it's probably my favorite of the festive New Year's Day specials. I think it's the funniest, certainly, which makes you sort of enjoy it more. Yeah, de definitely one of, one of my favorites. But another one of my favorites was Resolution. And actually, mm. th there are definite similarities that you can draw between these two, because again, that was not not so contained an episode, but obviously it was a Dalek episode, a relatively limited cast. The only other, mm, that's true. The, the, sort of the, main, the main supporting players in that episode were two characters, and there was a sort of um, unrequited romance there that paid off at the end. So there were definite, definite shades of that one there. But no, I, th I think this is a really strong episode. I think if, if there's... The way I will sort of remember the Chris Chibnall, Jodie Whittaker era now is the era almost that triumphed against adversity. Yeah. In the sense of, in the sense of, I think some of the best Doctor Who that this era has produced has been at a time where it is not only very difficult to make uh, Doctor Who, it's very difficult difficult to make any television, and so to make a show as, as complex with as many moving parts as Doctor Who must just be so, so uh, testing. And so, and yet they've produced some of their best episodes ever, which I think is, is hugely impressive and definitely sort of um, become more inventive uh, in, in the way they produced the show because their hand was sort of forced in that way. I think you're right. I mean, um, when I, in my interview with uh, Jamie Stone in last week's podcast, he kind of said like, you know, sometimes the moments where everything goes wrong and, you know, you can't plan, suddenly that's where the spark comes, you know, that's where the kind mm -hmm. of magic appears. And I do think that's definitely been the case here. I think, you know, I feel like the fact that they weren't able to go abroad and stuff, I feel like sometimes that had been a bit of a crutch for this era of Doctor Who, the kind of mm. really pretty, you know, landscapes and locations. And I think actually they had to put that effort into like, you know, sets and stuff instead. And, you know, I think it ended up being really cool. Um, I do just want to quickly talk about one more thing in this episode um, to do with the cast, because we talked about the guest stars. I do want to talk a little bit about John Bishop, because he has quite, he probably has the least to do in this episode in terms of character stuff of anybody. But what he does is really good. And I think it's just a sign of how much better Dan is written than, you know, Graham and Ryan were. Because you do that, that hero moment where he kind of goes out to, you know, face up with the Dalek. And, you know, it's a bit like 
come on, the Dalek would just <laughs> easily kill him. Why would it like play, you know, a game, you know, role play with him? But I think it's kind of, you see Dan kind of, I don't know, he's a bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? He kind of puts himself out there a lot more than mm. some of the other companions we've had. He seems genuinely like he wants to help. And then also we see with Yaz, he kind of has this, we had a little bit with Graham in, you know, Ascension of the Cybermen or whatever, and Yaz, but their kind of like emotional moment was just them saying, like, I think you're really great. Oh, I think you're really great too. You know, it's not much to it. With this, he kind of actually kind of gives her the push she needs to, you know, try and or at least sort of acknowledge something significant. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to say, you know, I don't think Dan's going to get a lot of attention from this episode. So, you know, hats off to John Bishop. He does a really good job plays him very funny. And I think he kind of plays him funny even better because he's surrounded by comic actors in this episode. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, and I think as well, there's a consistency to the way Dan is written and the way Dan is portrayed that was maybe lacking in, in Graham mm. and, and Ryan. Sometimes, sometimes Graham was, was a, a grieving widower and sometimes he just wanted to sit down and a sandwich and it kind of like veered back and forth. And, and the same with Ryan's character, there wasn't a huge a, a amount of, of consistency. And like you said, those moments, that scene in Ascension of the Cybermen between Bradley Walsh and Amanda Gill is great, as is, in fact, the scene in in uh, Revolution of the Daleks between Tosin Cole and Jodie Whittaker yes. where they, they sort of have a heart to heart in the TARDIS. Great scenes in isolation, but they didn't feel as earned. They felt like they sort of came out of nowhere and it's like, I wish I'd seen more scenes like this. I wish I'd felt like there was a build up to this. Um, whereas with, with, with Dan, with his hero moments, with his hearts to hearts, with um, his heart to heart with Yaz, it all feels like it's, like it's come from somewhere. Like it feels like we have built to it. And probably a lot of that is because this episode comes off the back of flux where there was that serialized narrative and there was the opportunity to, to build in that way. Speaking of the serialized flux thing, you know, this is obviously a standalone story, but I was quite pleased that they did kind of, partly because it comes so soon after flux, I think it's the least gap we've had between a series and a festive special ever, except maybe um, Jody Whisker's first series. It really kind of picks up a few threads from there. Like obviously the TARDIS is still damaged, which was a thing I was a bit like, what, aren't they going to fix that? Yes, they are in this episode, you know, and they do acknowledge, interestingly, the doctor doing genocide and the fact that she says, it wasn't me. I hijacked a Sontaran stratagem and the Dalek going, you are responsible. And I'm like, got to side with the Dalek on this one. (laughs) The Dalek's right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And then also, obviously, even just Dan talking about the fact that he and Yaz, you know, were together for four years and he saw her looking at this hologram and all this thing, like all these things that I think fans kind of wanted from the finale of Flux, these sort of acknowledgements of like, it's not necessarily that the Doctor killed all the Daleks and Cybermen and stuff. It's that, you know, the episode kind of didn't think it was an issue or you didn't really talk about Mm. it. And, you know, it's not just that the TARDIS wasn't fixed. It's like, oh yeah, that was just left there. It's not just that, you know, Dan and Yaz were stuck for four years together. That's fine. It's just that then, like, what does that do? Do you have any kind of more insight into each other because of that? You just don't really get a sense of it. But the fact that it was brought into this, I actually felt like, you know, it's an hour-long episode. It's not a huge cast. It kind of repeats the same scenes over and over again. I think actually for the first time in a while, it felt like there was room to breathe. Do you know what I mean? It felt mm. like there was room to kind of talk about this slightly more sensitive stuff from Flux and with Yaz and so on. There was room to kind of have this whole subplot with Ashling B and Ajani Salmon's characters, the romance thing, which I kind of bought, you know, it's fine. I don't think she'd go out with him, but, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't buy that, but he seemed a bit, it, it was a bit intense, but, um, you know, I kind of, you can, you can allow it. Rules of TV, you can kind of allow it it's like uh it's like it's like speed how their uh their relationship won't actually last yes. past that uh, really intense those really intense uh beginnings no i think you're right i think you know this this episode must have been a really difficult one to write and to get right because 
and not just because of the, the the complexity of the time loop, but also there's a lot to do. You have to establish that that relationship and evolve that relationship between Nick and Sarah and make it convincing. Uh, you have to touch in on on, on certain you know, character beats for the Doctor and Yaz and, and Dan. Uh, you have to make the Daleks a credible threat plus make it funny. Um, there's a lot a lot to that you need to get right, um, and it could have it could have all gone badly wrong. And I think it's a minor miracle that it didn't and that it works so well. Yeah. And I think, you know, it works for me. Like it's fun. It's funny. Like there's, there's peril. I understand what the stakes are. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. rough, I mean, we don't necessarily understand why the stakes are what they are, but we understand <laughs> what the stakes are. We know what they're trying to do. You can kind of picture yourself, how would I deal with this in a weird sort of way, mm. which is kind of, I think, quite good. Um, the one thing I did think was I thought the ending was a little anticlimactic. Like, I know it did have that big explosion and all that. I kind of thought there needed to be... I was like, oh, that's the ending. I was like, oh, no, there'll be another twist. And there wasn't really. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, it kind of felt like it was really building. And then that final loop, it kind of just all went right. And they got out and they were like, great, there's the crane driver. Off we off we pop. You know, like, it, I don't know if you agree. I just sort of felt like there needed to be a slight raise of, like, action and stakes maybe than there was. Well, there was, it was sort of indicated that the TARDIS had saved them, right, mm. by by, end, by ending the time loop at just the right time. Well, I thought maybe um, by starting well, the time loop as well. I thought maybe that was the implication, that the TARDIS had sort of protected them. Oh, okay. So, you see, we, I'm, I'm still not up to speed with this with this plot at all. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, I know I know what you mean. It, it, it kind of, it, it maybe didn't have quite the grand... Uh, climax that yeah, it had been it had been building towards. I didn't have I didn't have huge a huge issue with it. It wasn't um, it wasn't bad. Although, it was just like I kind of mm. thought this they're really nailing this was what I thought for most of it. Mm. And then at the end I was like they could have nailed that bit a little bit better was more my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm also gonna put out another uh, fan theory out there. I mean given that they brought back the crane driver, do you think that Jeff is the same Jeff from the eleventh hour? And this is uh, what he never he he never got a girlfriend and this is what's <laughs> become of him. <laughs> living in a storage unit i love i actually quite yeah. like the running joke about uh jeff and the fact that he was living there was a good payoff um, <laughs> yeah. i think but um i mean i was like god i need to get one of those units they're massive you could put like i have so much stuff i could put in them it's a good advert for self-storage i mean in a way i mean a lot of very hazardous materials not, not, yeah not not so much for elf storage um but, no. but self-storage units in general i was sort of like gotta get me one of them um yeah that would be great i mean i feel like that jeff was quite like you know, he was heroic. He had his laptop. He was Tom Hooper uh, from was it? It's Tom, it is Tom Hooper, isn't it? From, it's Tom Hooper, yeah, yeah, from the Umbrella Academy. You know, I I, I kind of like the idea that he's fallen on hard times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> since then. Uh, you know, he was supposed to get he, any job offer he wanted from Patrick Moore or whatever, but he ended up working in Elf Storage. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I I did quite enjoy that um, that running gag, and yeah, I you know what I believe the theory. It's possible. I mean, anything is possible, as we learned by the return you, of the Sea Devils. <laughs> yeah, you will not read that on RadioTimes.com <laughs> yeah. anytime, anytime soon. I'm not. I'm not putting uh, pen to paper or fingers to keyboard on that one. I'll just keep that to myself. I'll keep that for the podcast. If you do see that on RadioTimes.com in January, you just know we've really run out of ideas. <laughs> run, run dry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say overall, my review of that episode. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thought it was really good. I enjoyed the fact it was quite New Year'sy, a bit more so than the other ones. Um, and yeah, nice work to everyone. But there's a very significant part of the episode that we have not yet addressed. And there is a reason for that, because every week on this podcast, we like to do a controversial question in Controversial Question of the Week. 
Roll jingle. Controversial question of the week. And this week we were debating what to do, and then we thought the obvious one, based on what I think will probably be one of the major takeaways of this episode, mm. um, the thasmin of it all. Uh, basically, mm. yeah, for ages, fans have theorized, will the Doctor and Yaz get together? And there were some hints of it in the most recent series. This episode lays it all out there. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yaz is in love with the Doctor. It's presented as a, like, potentially, not if not reciprocated, then, you know, understood and kind of perceived thing. It's not just a thing for fans anymore. So our controversial question is, should the Doctor and Yaz get together? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I mean, Morgan... <laughs> What what were your thoughts on this in the episode in general and, you know, the question? Well, I'm generally, I'm glad they've gone there. However, it plays out in the episodes uh, that remain. I think we've said before that they should go there because yeah. otherwise it does, there, there's, there's too, it, there's too much evidence pointing in that direction not to address it in some way. So I'm really glad that it has been, but the subtext has now become text. Um, I thought the way in which it was addressed, dealt with in this episode um, was really strong as well. That that scene I mentioned before, where Dan and Yaz have the the heart to heart, and Dan just sort of says, "Come on." Dan is essentially the the voice of the viewer. He's like, "Come on!" Like everyone can see, you're not you're not all that subtle about it. Um, I thought Mandit Gill played it brilliantly as well. I did think it was a uh, like Dan could have given her. I know a, a, a chance. <laughs> he, he was he was sort of like, "Are you going to tell her?" And she's like, I, "I haven't even admitted it to myself how I feel." And then in the next scene basically goes, "She fancies you, Doctor." And I was like, "All right." Like, well, the funny thing on, is, like, her... Yaz basically sees the Doctor like once, and Dan in his head is going like, "Right, here's a chance." You know, this is where it's going. <laughs> the dialogue's coming. This is the, this is the moment. I mean, she doesn't do it, and he's like, "You know what? I'm I'm bored of this." I'm sick of. <laughs> I'm, already... I'm so bored. Yeah. I'm sick of holding in but, this, um, this secret. Yeah, this se- I can't hold this secret anymore. I've got, I've got some great gossip. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it's interesting the way it plays out in the episode. In that, um, not only is it made clear that Yaz has feelings for the Doctor, but it's also heavily implied that the Doctor knows this and is in and is really a not bit into- awkward about it socially awkward yeah you know is either in denial about it or is just sort of choosing to ignore it and and then you ask yourself why isn't the doctor addressing it um is it because the doctor doesn't reciprocate those feelings or maybe the doctor does reciprocate those feelings but knows that they can't be together sort of doctor and rose situation Mm. i so i mean if we if we come to the question of should they get together um i think again there needs to be some more payoff to this and i'm sure there will be um but they can't they can't be together really in the same way as the doctor and rose couldn't be together and she had to get her little spin-off <laughs> clone boyfriend because that was the closest thing she could have you can't you can't have a, a human cannot have a romance um a, a relationship with the doctor um because it they're just they're from two different worlds literally right. like it just it it just wouldn't work you know the doctor is is thousands potentially millions of, of years old will outlive any any human uh companion partner um it so i there will definitely be a payoff but but i can't see i can't see them being together if, if only because there's not enough time right we've only got a few, a few more specials of yeah, <laughs> I mean, let's say they get together in the next episode. It's going to be a pretty short relationship at best before the Doctor regenerates and totally, totally changes, even if Yaz sticks around. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you. I, I think it's they have to go there because it's 
it's something that is more interesting with the characters. Um, it's as much as it, you know, is a bit old hat in modern who to kind of have the companion fall in love with the doctor. They haven't done it for a while. Um, mm. Basically not since, I don't know, not even, maybe not even the character. They've not done it in this sort of very normal way, if you know what I mean. Like very kind of like, because with like Karen Gillan, there was a bit of it, but then it was more like she fancied him. And then, you know, with Jenna Coleman, it was like, maybe she fancied him, but kind of not, you know, ever. like it's sort of like a bit vague. They haven't really done this properly since like Martha mm. and Rose, I suppose, was the kind of, mm. the sort of doyen of it. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, really good. I feel like it's come quite organically out of the performances and out of what fans saw, which I think is good. I, I kind of like the fact that it probably wasn't the original plan um, because mm. it feels like it's been a development and it gives Yaz kind of a bit of heft. It gives Mandip Gill actually some stuff to play with, which I like. I agree mm. with you though. I mean, obviously it can't go anywhere. Like, basically all we're saying is like, how heartbroken do we want Yaz to be? I feel like it's going to be very depressing because basically we know the Doctor's changing and soon, mm. and it seems like Mandip Gill doesn't carry on. So it's kind of like, does the Doctor, you know, get rid of Yaz and like shut her down, or does Yaz choose to leave because the Doctor changes? And either way, that's really sad. And maybe that's going to be I what mean, they go for. Well, and there's also dangerous tropes here, right? Because you don't want to, you know, have Yaz sacrifice her life to save the Doctor. There's, True. there's, um, there's, there's, there's tropes that should be avoided where. Um, queer characters notoriously either end up dead or unhappy. Um, yeah, that's and true. That's you kind true. of, and you kind of at the moment can't see a way a where ending, yeah. what, what a happy ending for the Doctor and Yaz. But I hope that I hope they get some sort of happy ending, however it plays out, because I feel like the characters deserve it, and I think the fans deserve it at this point as well. They'll just make her another clone, you know. They'll just clone, clone the Doctor again. It'll all be fine. Get well, another we, clone. We've got any, got any spare hands knocking about. <laughs> just chop one off and then regenerate into it. Yeah. It's it's foolproof. I don't know why they don't do it more often. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I do think as well, like, we, we know Mandip Gill is... Um, in the Centenary special. Um, and there's been a lot of chat about how Jodie Whittaker's scene was, you know, filmed in sequence of her last scene was her final scene. And Mandip Gill seemed to be around. Do you know what I mean? So mm. that makes me... And they did also then film, I think, a little bit afterwards without Jodie and possibly without her. So I I do wonder whether, you know, Yaz will be with her to the end, but we'll kind of have to leave before the new Doctor comes or because of the new Doctor. I do think there would be something quite good in the Doctor finally kind of admitting she has these feelings and then Yaz rejecting her because she's not the person she fell in love with. That would be quite, like, grim, but... You know, you could kind of believe it, and it would feel quite authentic. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it would sort of play with the dynamics. The dynamics been the dynamics been very one sided this whole time. Mm. It's been very much Yaz kind of pining for the Doctor. And you know, sometimes it's like, is that because she's the Doctor's friend? In this case, it is very much because like she's clearly like in love with the Doctor. I did also like, by the way, not to change the subject, Dan just completely calling out the Doctor. Uh, for like, you know, we talked about before the social awkwardness when Graham talked to her about his cancer and she goes, oh, mm. I'm socially awkward, I have to talk about things. And then this happens a few times, she says stuff like this to Yaz and then she's like, Dan, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, I mean, you obviously do. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, come off it. <laughs> like, it's a good and I love that. It really works because like, yeah. she, like as in, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, you know, maybe she doesn't know because she's the doctor and Dan's like, come on, no one's that oblivious, even if yeah. they're an alien. It's a good, it's a good out for the doctor just to say I'm socially awkward to avoid conversations she doesn't want to have, which seems to be, seems to be the way of things. I just, I, I, I'm just sort of to bring this podcast full circle. I'm loving that whatever next step of this, of this uh, sort of budding romance, be it required or otherwise, is going to play out on a pirate ship while they're fighting sea devils. <laughs> 
just class, classic Doctor Who. I love it. That feels pure Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it, there, there will have to be because there was a kind of development of this in Flux in the finale, and there was a mm. sort, of, sort of hug, and there was like a sort of moment of like they get interrupted or whatever, and fans read a lot into that. I'm really interested to see what the fans make of this because this is very like you know it's very obvious if you know what I mean. Mm. It's not subtext; it's text. Mm. Um, and also then, you know, presumably it has to develop in the next one and then in the centenary. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where they go with it. it. I would say the Doctor has not given any indication that she feels the same way. And that maybe mm. seems to be where it's going. But there's, there, there's a little moment at the end there when the fireworks are going off and Sarah and Nick are kind of gazing lovingly into each other's eyes. And Yaz looks at the Doctor and then the Doctor looks at Yaz and Dan sort of looks proudly at both of them like you like that's I, true that's true and and it's I, I didn't but but what what does that look from the doctor mean how is that to be taken the way jody whittaker played it i didn't i didn't interpret it myself as being i'm in love with you i interpreted it as that's something i'll have to address there you know this relationship has clearly got more complicated and we need to talk about it but i i yeah i don't i don't know if the doctor feels the same but we we, we shall we shall see should just dump her in aberdeen like sarah yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and just move on yeah no i i i i'm glad they're doing it i think it fit the one thing i would say is i kind of wish it had been seeded a little bit more maybe earlier in the episode as like a theme of the episode because it kind of crops up about halfway through i think when mm. you know there's that thing of like you know a weirdo with a good heart and guys kind of looks at it, which is very cleverly done i'm just a bit like it becomes a big theme of the episode and i kind of wish it had been that way from the start i mean maybe it was and i slightly missed it that's my only you know criticism of that you know storyline is i think it kind of crops up about halfway through and i feel like you could maybe have made it the whole thing but um mm. yeah I, I think that was a really solid bit of the episode so i'm glad we could make that our controversial question of the week and also make it you know a themed controversial question of the week that isn't just some random stuff we talk about at the end <laughs> <laughs> which has tended to be the case um and I think that is a good point as any to end this podcast. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our review of Eva Vidalik's, our interview and so on, and our controversial question of the week. Um, we will not be back next week with another Doctor podcast. Um, we have been doing this uh, over the course of Flux and the New Year's special. Hopefully we'll be back to do more stuff like this when um, the series returns for future specials and beyond. But, but for now, this is what you'll hear of us. Although there will be loads of other exciting podcast, uh, you know, opportunities on radiotimes.com and projects <laughs> is maybe the word I wanted. So you might hear our voices there. Um if you want to read more about anything we've talked about uh, on this week's podcast, you can find it all on radiotimes.com. Talked about sea devils and time loops and all that fun stuff. Um, and yeah, Morgan, before we go, is there anything you'd like to say? Just that if you've enjoyed uh, either this podcast or previous podcasts uh, that we've put out, uh, let us know. If you want to hear more from the Radio Times Doc 2 podcast, uh, let us know. You can You can tweet us at radio times you can let us know if you're listening on youtube you can listen uh, you can you can post on youtube comments um but yeah just just let us know if you if you'd like to hear more and uh the groundswell of support may help guarantee the return the continuation of the radio times doc 2 podcast and if you really didn't like it keep it to yourself all right <laughs> yeah we don't yeah because that won't help that, that won't, won't help. help. That won't help anybody. Um, well, until the next time, whenever that might be, uh, thank you so much for listening. I've been Hugh. I've been Morgan. Uh, and we're about to start this loop all over again. Uh, so, you know, be prepared to listen to this podcast from about a minute in. Thanks for listening and goodbye. 
Thanks for listening to our Doctor Who podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. And for more brilliant Doctor Who content, check out radiotimes.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill, or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast. Hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com